Aber Yahweh, the opportunity to share again in your truth, your knowledge, your wisdom, and allowing me to be a conduit to share that to whoever has an ear to hear the words, but listen to you speak. Go to your word. Seek your face. Seek diligently for you, Father God. Ava Yahweh Aman, Yeshua Aman, Paraklitos Aman. I share that with you because I see some things that are taking place around, but here's the important thing that we have to always remember this too, is that God never departs, never leaves, never moves away. If it, does, if it seems that way to us, that's because we have turned aside and we have gone astray or we have closed our spiritual hearing off and closed our spiritual eyesight because God is always around us. You can see it around us in, in, all, of, in all of nature, in everything that goes on. Sometimes I love to go stand in a safe place, of course, and watch the thunderstorms. Love to watch the clouds roll by and listen to the thunder rolling and just think of his strength and his might and his majesty. And it's not always in this. Sometimes it's in a gentle breeze and the... Uh, I had this, um, I had the place where I was working as the, um, I shared with you before that in that private place up in the mountains and there was one place that was very, it was a sacred place and protected and there's one way to find it of course, I didn't share that regularly because it was a protected place. And it was, um, it was an area that we called Chief's Canyon. Chief's Canyon. And um, they had remains that were placed there because they were chieftains, leaders, elders. And... Um, you had people that would come up from the city, the basin in L.A., <clears throat> and they would loot and steal things. I mean, they went up there and they, they stole the totem from... <laughs> well, they stole the totem, and somebody had thought that they saw them leaving in a, in a truck, and they had it in the bed of the truck. And this is private property. This is a protected place, but this is, this is the way people tend to be, schemers. At any rate, when you went to this place and a particular way that, that I found it and I knew was that there was a uh, there was a bay tree and it was probably pretty close by the size and the growth. It was probably close to a, a couple hundred years old. And yes, bay trees do get that old and older. And... Um, it was so wonderful because it was a beautiful shade tree 
and sometimes it would get very hot in the canyon, so when I had to go up and make my rounds, and I'd be on the trail, and I'd find that bay, and I'd just walk underneath, and it was as if the air conditioner had been turned on. I mean, I'm outside, and it's hot. And then the gentle breeze would start to blow. And the aroma of the bay would come. And you know, when you're out in, in, in hot weather, um, breathing can get kind of hard and your nose gets stuffed up and all. But I went out there and that gentle breeze came and it was as if the AAC had been turned on and then the bay coming in that gentle breeze and I just breathed in deeply and it was wonderful because everything became so much easier and nicer. And I just stayed there thinking about how God does these things. And it was a beautiful place and God does that all the time. All the time with us. And I'm, uh, I'm looking for the particular scripture because we are supposed to do this as Joshua instructed the nation of Israel. Um, and And he instructed them to look back. But when we look back, and so many times we have problems looking back because we always want to remember, oh, what should have been, what could have been, what would have been. And then we start going into this um, we start going into this remorse and regret. Well, that's not why we look back. And like Joshua instructed the nation of Israel, and to look back and remember all the times that God was with us before us, behind us, around us, and to look back and remember all the things that they found. Um, we can find in uh, Joshua 4, actually, when they were crossing the Jordan, and um, Joshua was instructed to take his 12 elders, and they were going to build an altar. And we have this tendency to look back and, oh, woe is me, oh, woe is me and whine and cry about it. And, and the nation of Israel actually did that a lot. I mean, this is why they wound up wandering in the desert, in the wilderness for 40 years. But the whole time that they were there, God took care of them. And I've shared this with you before. How many of you can go into your closet? I have one item in my closet. Um, I believe I still have it in there. I haven't gone in there. I haven't had cause to wear a jacket for a while, but I have a leather jacket that I've had that's a, uh, 
30 plus years old. And I like it. I wear it. I've worn it. Um, but how many of you have anything in your closet, shoes or any other article of clothing that you've had for 40 years and is not wearing out, gone threadbare? Shoes that old? Shoes don't last that long. And the reason I bring that up is because when the nation of Israel wandered, even after turning away and choosing to follow the lying and the deceptive slanted truth, he still took care of them. They didn't have to repair their shoes, their sandals, and they didn't have to mend their clothing. Nothing wore out. And this is what Joshua was reminding them when they crossed the river, to look back and remember all the times that God has been with you and is with you. I do that sometimes and I go back and I look. look I, I, I'm going to be 67 years old right quick. Yeah, there's some folks older than I am and I'm not doing this as, as a braggart, but had God not had a plan for me and God not taken care of me, I more than likely would not be right here. And when I look back, I see these times, I was gonna take my own life. I've shared this with you before. And there's a lot of people that don't even know that. Even within my church that I attend to regularly, they don't know this. Um, and people think that they know you, but they don't really. They just think they do. Um, but I was going to take my own life. I was going to drive myself in an 18-wheeler drive right off the Oakland Bay Bridge, which could have been done quite readily, actually. And, um, <coughs> pardon me. And I was going to do it. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit put the brakes on that. Reminded me of the fact that my grandchildren wouldn't know me. And I've shared this with you as well, is that my children were not even out of elementary school yet. Back in those days, they used to call it elementary school. Um, and they would go kindergarten to the sixth grade, and sometimes they even had what they would call a uh, pre-kindergarten. Um, there's a lot of schools that they call it pre-first now. It's very strange. But they start trying to teach the children first grade material in kindergarten. And now, of course, they teach them all sorts of atrocities. They have perverted the education system, but regardless... They had not even left elementary school yet, and the Holy Spirit just told me, so what about your grandchildren? What are your grandchildren going to do? If you take this truck and you drive through that guardrail and you go into the bridge, and yes, I know you can do it if you decide to do that. It can be done. I know you can do it. He didn't say all that, but I'm just kind of expounding because I, I could have. But he didn't want me to. He didn't desire that I do that, and he wanted me to follow what he was saying, and I did. I had no, I didn't even think about these things. I was thinking selfishly. I was thinking of my own self and whining and crying, just like 
the nation of Israel was doing, whining and crying about what did take place because of choices. But the Holy Spirit guided me back. He was with me then. He was with me in the midst of a, a very horrendous amount of traffic that was going on in the, in the L.A. Basin. <clears throat> it was a very dangerous place. And as I went around the turn, I mean, the Holy Spirit told me, said, you need to move, you need to move, you need to move now. And doing so and following, checking, traveling, and just, just followed what he told me to do. It was as if I had a driver trainer sitting right next to me. And I moved, and as soon as I did, I moved over. I mean, it was, there was a tow vehicle on the blind turn. There was a vehicle right behind him, and the driver was in between the platform of the tow truck and the vehicle and the person, there were no cones, there were no warnings or nothing. It was just there. And had I struck them, of course, I was driving the 18-wheeler at that time too. Had I struck them, both would have died. I'm not sure what would have happened to me or what happened to anyone else, but it didn't happen because the Spirit was protecting me. God was protecting me. God was with me. And I wasn't walking with God as I, as I am now, but I was wanting to. I was, and here's the thing. God knows the character of our heart. And I am just so thankful that he was examining my heart and seeing what I wanted to do and how I was acting, that I was choosing to, to be and want to be with him. And now he's just got, and I can't get enough. And this class that is coming up that I've been studying for and, and getting ready to start here in another week. And I'm going to be in school for, goodness gracious. <laughs> it's going to be kind of rough on this old guy because it's going to be a full school work. But I desire this because I believe that I will be taken deeper out into the waters. Now, not to try to vaunt myself, but you know, when Peter jumped off the side of that boat and he went out to walk with Jesus on the water, he jumped on the leeward side or the shore side. I wanna jump out into the deep water. I want to jump out on the seaward side. I want to jump out there where it's, yeah, I want the Lord to take me deeper, teach me more, carry me deeper in that. And I want that because I want to be about my father's business and I want him to guide me in that, to be as deep as he can possibly have me be and carrying his word and message and sharing It's an important place to be, but what we also have to remember is that we have to, um, we have to remember that we are weak and our Lord is our strength and not to uh, become, uh, what's that word? There's a word I'm thinking of and I, I've forgotten it now and I wanna make sure I share the right one. But anyway, we uh, debase ourselves And we just tear ourselves down. 
So um, the word that I was looking for is self-deprecating. And many times we do that. When we find ourselves, we take ourselves, we belittle ourselves, and then the devil loves for us to do this. And this is where most of this stuff comes from. It's not coming from you. There's two processes that go on. The Holy Spirit works to draw us and devil tries to separate us. And he loves for us to, to um, the word is to self-deprecate. And what that means is that we put ourselves down. We disapprove of what we had chosen to do and that whatever we did, we did it because we're not good enough. Well, here's the thing that you have to understand, and many do not, is that God sees us from a great distance. And the scripture tells us that he saw us from afar, but we're still his. We are still his. And he desires that we remember that. And he knows how empty we get or the sensation that we get for being so empty because we walked away or we've looked the other way. And he offers us to be rested from that. He provides for us this overflowing, bubbling spring that he gives to us. And it, there's no, he doesn't have an off and on switch for that thing or an off and on valve that he turns off and on. And he lets that, he lets that living water flow out. And then maybe when he thinks we've had enough or we're not acting right, then he closes the valve and, and it, it stops flowing. God doesn't function that way. God does not do that because God loves us and he wants it to continue and we have the opportunity. And whether we come to partake of that or not, that's our choice. We choose that. God made us with a free will choice, but he doesn't turn it off. It's just like these, um, and I've shared this, this term with you before, and I actually looked it up and I want to share this because there's about, 10 or 12 definitions of the word pervert. And there's so many individuals out there that misinterpret this and they think it has to do with, with uh, sexual stuff. Out of all of those definitions in the proper English dictionary, that all the way through, it's got nothing to do with anything sexual until you get to the very bottom and the last definition. There's only one that has anything to do with sexual misconduct. The word pervert has nothing to do with that, truly. And what it does mean, and we will find that, uh, we will find that in the book of Galatians, actually, we find that word, and I'm going through the book of Galatians. I'm going to read the, the book in its entirety so I can get more in depth with this. But um, there's many things. The Church of Galatia is very important because um, 
It was a small church, relatively a, a new church, and he's writing to them because um, as he writes to them, because they so quickly turned away from the gospel. And they did that because of the perverting of the gospel. And um, again, and he's warning them and was talking about them that they began so quickly to turn away and follow false teaching. And what he talks about right here in Galatians 1, 7. Well, actually, I'm going to go to, uh, I'm just going to read from the first. It's, this is important. It's very important. And you have to think about this. So Galatians 1, Paul, an apostle, not of men, and neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God, the father who raised him from the dead. This is what Paul's trying to get them to understand and convey to them. And here's the thing too, you have to understand. Paul was not, he had letters of instruction. He had letters from school. He had schooling and he had multiple citizenship in Rome. He was a, he was a uh, Roman citizen. He had letters uh, indicating his citizenship of, of Judaism being a Jew. There were a lot of things, and he had letters of instruction. I mean, he he had he had things. And remember too, Paul's history was that he was a rather wealthy individual because he was being paid by both the Roman Empire. He was also being paid by the church because they were hunting down those that were in the way. And remember, they weren't called Christians yet the term that was used for hunting them was called the way. And they were following the way of Jesus Christ. But not only the way, but they were in the way because the Pharisees didn't like them and they feared them actually. And uh, this is where, um, I think I've shared this with you before, the ichthus and the sign of the cross, they they used to mark their, their places of worship by the cross so that others could find them. And they put them in, in kind of odd places and secret of places because they were being quite literally hunted down. But then they started using the ichthus. The ichthus is the sign of the fish. And that became a sign that was used when I was younger. I think I was still in high school. They started using that. And there were places that we would worship. And there was one place in particular, we called it the upper room. And we would have Bible study and things there. And it was out near the university. And it was very cool. And in order to find the upper room, you had to look for the ichthus, which is what they marked the spot. And that was our mark for the treasure, not X like the pirates would mark their treasure box, but the ichthus. And we would find the treasure that God shared with us through the Holy Spirit through his sharing and teaching of the word. Back to the scripture. And as Paul was sharing with him, that he didn't get any of this from, he wasn't taught these things by man. He wasn't instructed by a school and given letters of this instruction, but he was given this instruction by 
the Spirit by Jesus Christ and God. You remember here, okay, well, I'm going to digress a little bit here and make sure that everybody's getting caught up. Remember that Saul, which is what is his name first, that was the name he was given by man. And he was on his way to Damascus. He had a letter from the pharisaical tyrants and he was going to go and hunt some Christians or some believers, not Christians yet. Um, he was going to go and hunt them down because he was paid to do so. And he was going to report them. He was going to take them captive and he was going to burn their meeting place out. And sometimes there were people that were caught in the fires and they died. It didn't matter. Paul was getting paid to do it. That's what he was going to do. And he was on his way and the spirit knocked him off the ass that he was riding on. He was on a full-blown critter going down the road and he was knocked off of it into the middle of the roadway. And then the spirit of the Lord came over him and just looked down at him and said, Saul, 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 why persecutest thou me? Jesus Christ himself came and questioned Saul. Why are you coming after me this way? And some of you might wonder, well, wait a minute. He was chasing the believers. He wasn't, Jesus is already dead in heaven. No, the body of Christ, the believers that come together, we are his. We are of him, in him, with him. And if they come to persecute us, then they come and persecute him. If you are a true believer and a follower and a faithful believer in the word of God, Saul was not persecuting them. He was persecuting them physically, but spiritually he was coming after the gospel. Jesus Christ, the good news. Jesus took his sight and he put him up and he was without his sight for three days. Further, we're going to continue in verse three. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from the present evil world according to the will of God our Father. These are, this is important. And you can go to the book of Romans also, this is a reminder, because remember the book of Romans uh, 8 in particular is our adoption letter. We are. And some of you get out there and you get moping and whooping and, and shuffling around and you got your feet dragging down because you forgot who you are. And I saw this really great thing. I actually saved it. I can't remember exactly. It says, and it's a very tiny foot. I love this. It's a baby's foot. And on the bottom of it, there's writing. It said, if you've forgotten, if you, ah, now I forgot it. I'm sorry. Um, if you don't believe in miracles, perhaps because you forgot that you are one. Remember this. God always provides. God is always there. And don't ever forget that you are that. And the other reason that people mope around, drag their feet, and they shuffle their feet, which just absolutely boggles my mind. What kind of ambassadorship is that for the kingdom of heaven? What kind of a child of the king is that that's going to 
drag their feet down and slump their shoulders and look like they're absolutely don't even want to be at church, but yet they're there. I mean, yeah, you can go two different ways. Okay, let's, uh, okay, they're there. That's a good thing. But the scripture tells us not to be ashamed of the gospel, not to veil our faces. What does that mean? That's not, that means that we hide how we're feeling inside with the joy of the Lord and we try to mask that so that other people don't, are not able to readily see what's going on. Well, wait a minute. We're supposed to be doing that. We're supposed to be sharing that good news and the joy of the Lord that is our strength. So why are you walking around, shuffling your feet, moping, shoulders slumped, looking down the floor, and you barely make eye contact, and there is no, absolutely no smile on your face. There's no, there's no gladness in your countenance, and you look like you're absolutely miserable. And quite honestly, I'm going to share this with you. Some of them look like they're walking around constipated all the time. That's pretty deplorable. You are a child of the King, the Lord God Almighty, the maker of all things made. You are called for his purpose. You are anointed to do certain things. Might not be the same as somebody else, so don't compare yourself to anyone else because he called you for a particular thing. So, I have a real issue with this and I have to pray um, within myself and I, I, I think I handle it pretty good. I'm going to speak against it because we are to do that, to exhort, to edify, and to admonish if need be. The scripture tells us that. So don't be like that. Don't walk around like you're constipated or you have some kind of other physical ailment that's bothering you. I mean, okay. Some people think, well, you didn't have to smile all the time. What a pathetic excuse. The joy of the Lord, and you're going to walk around like that, and then you're going to use a man excuse for not? Oh, cut it out, please. I want to be a good ambassador for the kingdom of heaven. This is a beautiful place. We're going to spend eternity. We're going to have all our loved ones up there. We're going to be able to do so many things. And the scripture tells us all things will be made new. And God specifies all things. He doesn't say that, okay, I'm just going to take care of the people. And I'm just going to take care of the plants. Or I'm just going to take care of this and that and the other thing. I'm going to clean up the litter. He doesn't say, he said, all things will be made new. That means everything around us. We have... Um, domestic animals, and I shared this with my grandson. I told him his father wanted to get all bent out of shape about I don't care. Honestly, I really don't. I don't care. Why? Because I shared the truth with my grandson. He wanted to know if his baby dog that he absolutely loved was going to be in heaven. I told him yes. And I didn't lie to him. There are going to be these creatures that God made for us that spend time with us that are uh, given a special purpose. There are scriptures to that. So I told, and in the Bible, it tells all things will be made new. Just like it says, for God so loved the world. It doesn't say that God loved the world of the white man. God loved the world of the black people. God loved the world of the, of the Native American people. God loved the world of the Asian people, of the Latinos. It doesn't say that. It says, for God so loved the world, meaning everyone in the entirety, that we are all called to un be unified and of one body and of one truth 
and the truth that Jesus Christ came and died for us and that we have the opportunity to hit that turning point to turn around and go the right direction or take a left or a right turn, whichever way the Holy Spirit is guiding us to go. That we believe that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God and we have faith in God and that the Holy Spirit is leading, guiding, and teaching. That's the important. And that this kingdom of heaven, oh my goodness gracious, the, the greens are going to be so green and all the colors of everything are going to be so much brighter. It's There's going to be no pollution. There's going to be no smog, nothing. It's going to be purity. We're going to be able to travel around. We're not going to need mass transit to get anywhere. Our loved ones that we have that went before us are going to be there. We're going to recognize people. People, we're going to know one another. We're going to have eternity with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and Lord God Almighty, the maker of all things made. We're going to recognize everyone, be able to communicate with everyone and people that we, and they're not going to be the same because they're going to be younger. They're going to be stronger. And any ailment that was with them here in this plane of existence is going to be gone they're going to be mounding and bounding as if they were a kid with strength and boldness, enjoying everything. And I firmly believe that everyone's going to be barefoot. I don't know. I don't see anywhere in the scripture where it says we're going to have shoes on our feet. We're going to even need them. Why? Because there's not going to be any broken glass. There's not going to be anything sharp that's going to... Um, impale our foot and everything's going to be soft the grass we're going to be able to walk through streams and just it's going to be beautiful brothers and sisters why are you shuffling your feet looking down at the ground and have your shoulders slumped over and looking like you're absolutely miserable when you're in the house of the lord and you're there for fellowship and to share in his word. Further, Galatians 1.4. Who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The word amen means so be it. And the word aman, which I've shared with you before, means worthy of praise. Further, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Who is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. There's that word. So Paul's writing a letter to the church at Galatia because they have so quickly turned away from the gospel, the truth, and someone else is leading them because he's a pervert. Remember, there's 10 definitions in the dictionary for the word pervert, and the very last one, I think it's number 12, is a mention of sexual. Everything else before that has nothing to do at all with sex. So Paul's letter to the church of Galatia, he's writing and he's doing so to lift them up 
and give them warning and remind them how quick they gave up and gave in and that they're following a false teacher. And that's in one seven, which is uh, unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ, meaning that they're taking the word of God. They're teaching falsely. They're taking the word of God and what Jesus was teaching and twisting it, manipulating it, perverting it, changing it to something that it is not. That's what perversion is. They take, just like this uh, this worship of Ishtar, the, the goddess of the rainbow, a Babylonian god, a false deity. They perverted the rainbow. The rainbow was a gift from God and a sign from God that he was not going to allow the world to be destroyed by flood again. And that's been perverted and changed to something totally contrary to what was and what is. And they've made it a sign of something completely adverse and perverted that again, is that men with women and women with men and that was given of God, that was that the desire between us is God-given. That was not something that just was made up, but that's all been twisted, manipulated. That's perversion. Perversion is the twisting and making something other than what it was intended for and usually for something wrong. And he gives some warning because they were following false teachers and doctrines, perverting the gospel of Christ. And perversion, and I'm going to run through these definitions very quickly. The first one, to lead astray. Morally. Usually change, trying to get you to change your mind about moral designation and things that are correct and change your mind. To turn away from the right course. Lead into mental error. Bad judgment. Whether you should be texting and driving in your car or talking on the phone and distracted from driving on the highway and then you slam into a school bus and you take the life of one or two children or you just hurt them really bad or the children that are in your car with you or your family members that you cause serious, grievous injury to them because you made a bad judgment. You were perverse in your judgment. You know it was the right thing. You shouldn't do that, but you chose to do it, and it happened. Turning to improper use and to misconstrue, misinterpreting, and this is important, is that especially intentionally, you purposefully, and then you use as an excuse, well, I didn't, I didn't understand that. I, I guess I did. But wait a minute. You're intentionally, and now you're lying about it because you knew what it meant. You knew what you were told. But then you try to use as an excuse for that, oh, I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. Wait a second. Now you're lying on top of it. And that's 
pardon me, and that comes from perversion. And here's the thing that usually has to happen. You have to lie in order to cover that up. You twist it, you darken it, and you twist it all around from what it was intended to be. And then you start doing these things and you're using bad, and then you try to use and you lie to cover up what you did wrongfully. And you lie in order to cover up your misstep, your faux pas. False step, that's what that means. It's a ballet term. French actually, but anyway, regardless. So now you've taken a misstep and you lie on top of it to cover that up. So perverting the truth, perverting what you should be doing, perverting the judgment. And Paul is talking here that these people are coming into the church and perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ and trying to teach. And here, <clears throat> and here in verse eight, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. There's an interesting word here and I had to look, I had to look it up. But it just simply means that Paul curses them. And they are cursed. It doesn't matter if they came from heaven because then they're doing the work of the devil. <clears throat> and he had a whole bunch that were kicked out of heaven because they were gonna do what he told them to do and so what they were supposed to do. But if they're coming down and trying to get you to believe or teach other than what Jesus Christ came and taught and has told us continually through the gospel, <clears throat> pardon me, that is false teaching, false doctrine, lying, perverting of the truth, just like that guy that got up and parading up and down on the up on stage. And it, I mean, it, it almost became comical. I watched him at first. I was trying to figure out what is this fellow doing? He was actually wearing a little uniform, I guess, as, as he had this, he was not, he was not a Catholic, he was not Catholic. <clears throat> I'm not sure what he was, but he had this big collar on in order to be seen. But then he had this scarf. And it seemed to be a very important part of what he was wearing and flipping it as he paraded back and forth on the stage in order to draw attention to himself and to what he was speaking as he's flipping it to make it appear as if it was blowing in the breeze. But there was no breeze. I don't know if he was trying to reenact the day of Pentecost as if the if the spirit of the Lord was blowing on him and everything he was saying. I don't know what he was doing, but it was very, almost became comical. And then he came and had the audacity to speak to the congregation that he was going to rewrite that portion of the Bible and that John 3.16 needs to be amended or completely taken out and removed from the Bible. And he chose that he's going to not teach it. Wow. I feel, I feel, I, actually I pray for that. I mean, I'm not, I don't know what he, what he was about, but this is exactly what Paul is talking about in perverting the word and taking the gospel. And that, remember I shared that word, that the, the word gospel simply means good news. So he's perverted the good news that Jesus 
provided his only begotten son and came in the spirit and was manifest as a man on this plane of existence and then was hung on the cross and died for our sakes so that we would have the opportunity to be saved and have the opportunity to repent and be ambassadors and children of the king and to be heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That's gospel. That's good news. Oh my goodness. Is that not good news? Of course it's good news. And Paul curses that person. And that that man has cursed himself, actually. I don't need to sit here and say, oh, God called down a curse on him. I don't need to do that. God's already judged him. And he still has the opportunity to be repentant and to come to a turning point and turn off of that road of destruction that he's on. But what's most heartrending is that he's teaching that. He's leading others astray and convincing him, convincing them that what he is saying is the truth and that Jesus is wrong and that John is wrong. And if you read the context of John's 3, 16, all the way down to 22, you will see that everything is by a free will choice. It's not God condemning you if you don't. You condemn yourself. Everything that God provides is given freely, and we have that choice to make. We either choose to accept or choose not to. A free will choice. So, Do we accept that Jesus Christ is his only begotten son and that the gospel is truth and that we repent and we have faith in God and we want the Holy Spirit to guide our steps and work the best way that we possibly can? Not being perfect because God knows we're not. God knows we're not perfect. God knows that we have scars and bruises and that we're weak. He knows that, but he wants to be our protector, our strength, our guide. He will be our buckler. He will be our source of strength. He will be our strong tower that we can take refuges. And like David tells us, if we take refuge with him, we will be in the shadow of his wings. Have you ever seen poultry, how they are out in the field? And there's an interesting um, display that I was looking at, and it's really pretty fascinating. And this is what God does to us. He takes us under his wing and he folds them over us and protects us from everything. Rain, wind, dust, everything, anything you can imagine. We are, and, and we are shielded from the heat, just like underneath that bait. That was beautiful. Oh, man, it was so beautiful. I can't even, I can only give it to you in words, but if you can only imagine that you're walking out there on this trail in this just scorching heat, and then you walk under this giant bay, and the breeze comes, and it's as if the air conditioner was switched on, and then you smell the aroma of the bay tree. It's so beautiful. But this is how God does this. And and this film that I saw of this, of this uh, bird, <clears throat> I guess they're somehow related to a coot because coots do a similar. They, their coots can walk on water. They have these very strange feet, but it seems like they're walking on water. And these don't look like a coot. The coot is the, or what they call a mud hen or a coot. It's black and it has a little white beak, but the feet are really big feet and and 
on each of its toes, it's got this fringe around it that's, and, and they can walk on shallow water or across <clears throat> the top of the, uh, pardon me, um, the plants, and they look like they're walking water. Well, this bird is related to them, but the males, they take all the young and they put them under the wings and they keep them under their wings and keep them protected until they get ready to leave the nest or leave wherever they, but it, it looks really odd because they have all these legs and it looks like this bird is some kind of an alien creature. But it's not, it's protecting its children. God protects his children by drawing us under his wings and he holds us in there. And just like that, uh, <clears throat> I shared with you, uh, pardon me, of that lithograph, uh, what's it, Footprints in the Sand or Prints in the Sand, I can't remember the exact title of it, but it's a picture and it shows the water on the shore coming up and there's only one set of prints in the sand and then the poem that's written next to it talks about the person when they're walking and how they were so confident. And then they looked back and they saw that there was only one set of footprints and <clears throat> they began questioning God, where'd you go? Why'd you leave me? And <clears throat> God, <clears throat> pardon me, that will surely be an honor. And God simply said, my child, I didn't leave you you see only one set of footprints because that's when I was carrying you. That's the kind of God he is. He comes to us in the deepest, darkest night. He comes to us in the depths of this strongest fight. And in the deepest storm, he is there and he carries us if need be. But he doesn't leave us. He does not leave us nor forsake us. Further Galatians 9. And as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. <clears throat> there will be those that will come and teach false doctrine and try to change and pervert the gospel, the good news that Jesus brought to us and willfully, purposely speak forwardly. I've shared that word with you before. That means that they purposefully change and teach contrary to the gospel, contrary to the word of God, willfully and purposefully do so. That is forward speech. And there are those that will come and tell you things that are not true. And they take, <clears throat> this is the thing too that you have to understand, pardon me, that the minions are capable of this. And they're capable of this because the devil teaches them. Understand and know this to be truth. The devil knows the word of God. Oh yeah, he does. He knows and those that left with him and became his demons, they know, and they teach. Oh yeah, they do, they teach, but they teach the dark way, they teach the misinterpretation, and they 
they get in their head just like that pervert that was up there parading back and forth talking about the gospel needs to be changed. John three sixteen needs to be changed. He's going to rewrite. And just like that other, the head of this religious order decided that he's going to rewrite the Bible because it needs to be relevant. Excuse me. <clears throat> Wherein do you find that to be so? Nowhere that I find because in all the Bible, when I go from the New Testament all the way back to the front cover of the Old Testament, I find things that are going on back then that are happening here and now and that prophets are being told by God exactly how to tell them. Just like I shared with you in Ezekiel 37. Oh my gosh, are you kidding me that it needs to be rewritten because that's not relevant? The nation turned against God, completely changed its back to God. And so they don't go out, they don't go testify, they don't go this. And as the word told them, as the word, as Ezekiel wrote it down, oh, we have lost hope for our part. What does that mean? That means that they gave up hope. Just like they, the spies that went into the promised land, saw themselves as grasshoppers. They saw themselves that way. They gave up on the promise of God. So in these individuals that went and became this valley of dry bones and that great army that came up as after Ezekiel preached for them and the breath of God came and brought them up and gave them life, and just like that young contemporary Christian artist sings that song, Your Glorious Day. I was breathing, but not alive until you gave me breath. And every morning, I remember that God did that. And this is something that we need to remember and know. Tomorrow is not promised. So in the morning, before you throw your feet over the side of the bed, before you get going in the day, sometimes I sit on the edge of the bed and I pray. And I talk to God and I try to remember and continue our little chat while I'm making coffee and all these things going. And then I uh, sit down and do my study. But that I don't get to do that unless he breathes the breath of life into me and brings me to life. And this is something that many may not know or realize is that we are closest to death when we're sleeping. And when you go into, uh, they have different stages of sleep. And then you have a dream state and you start to dream that you're a little bit more awake and you, you tend, and you can see these dreams going on and your synapse in your brain are, are clicking away and, and you're watching almost movie and sometimes you remember the dream. That's because you've come into this Point and God is showing you things. And you're able to remember a lot of these. Sometimes you don't. But when you're sleeping, you are nearest to death and not being dead because your heart rate goes so low, your breathing becomes so minimal. So actually, you're near death. And then when it comes time for you to rise and shine, God breathes into you and says, good morning, my child, I love you. Let's get up and get going. And don't forget that I'm with you through this course of the day, that nothing else matters, that I am with you and I am with you always.
as I have promised in my word, as I promised to you now, I am with you always. And remember too that as he reminds us that waiting in his presence, it helps us to be and remain connected to him. We have to practice the presence of God. Practice his presence. We need to fortify and temper our faith. We need to learn to meditate on God and you don't need these little special gong bells and all this stuff and this chanting. That's, you know, people talk about meditation and they, they make it all this elaborate and, and they're actually making fun of it. But when we sit and quietly think on him and meditate on God just being with us and we practice his presence and we can feel his hearness, it's just um, a personal relationship and that's what he wants to have with us. And remember that all this stuff that goes on and, and David writes about this in Psalm 131 too. But I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Staying close, staying in that word, staying with God. And David writes and, and is talking to God about what he's done. Surely you have granted him eternal blessing and made him glad with the joy of your presence. Oh, yes, he does. And Paul writes about that. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength. Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. That is Psalms uh, 37 7 we so much look around and we try to compare ourselves to others and well how come they're getting away with that and how come they're getting away with that well that does nothing for you that's only negative comparison and complaining on the prophet jeremiah remind us in 17 7 blessed is the man who trusts in the lord and whose hope is in the lord and remember that you're going to have all these individuals that are going to come and try to pervert the word. They're going to try to make it something that is less excellent. And um, they're going to overturn or try to turn it to something that it's not. Be cautious, be wary. Brothers and sisters, you are in my prayers daily, going out and coming in every day. Be blessed.